June 2nd, 2015, it was a momentous night in my life. Although if you were a uh, fly on the wall in my house, if you're peeking in through our windows, you would have no idea. If you could see in, into just our home that night, um, you would have noticed that Jocelyn and I were both dressed as if we were ready to go somewhere, and yet we weren't going anywhere. In fact, um, I, was, I was in the hallway of our house. I was changing out door hardware on all of the bedroom doors. And uh, on my phone, I was listening to some worship music and just, you know, immersing myself in that task. Out in the main room, Jocelyn was there with our kids, and she was getting them just taken care of and set and ready and fed for the night. It looked pretty unremarkable on the surface. But less than two miles away, here at St. John, um, down in our next generation center, lower level, there was a packed room full of people who had gathered to vote on who would be called to be our next senior pastor. And of course, my name was on that list. Um, Stephen Carol Hauer, who many of you know, they had uh, scheduled a small get together afterward at their house. Um, after the meeting, and it wouldn't be right for Jocelyn and I to go, so we were, we were at home, and, uh, and uh, they invited just a small group of, of close friends, and it was kind of an awkward party to plan, because uh, the idea was this could be a celebration of, uh, of a future together, and maybe we will raise our glass in toast to the future, or if it doesn't go well, maybe we'll forget the glass and just grab a bottle and drown our sorrows. Um, we just weren't really sure what the night would hold, and so it was very awkward. And, and I remember even leaving our house at the appointed time to head over toward the Howers. We were going to rendezvous at some time, and, um, and, and we didn't know yet how the meeting went. And we're in the car driving to the Howers' house, not sure what kind of celebration or wake or whatever it would have been that we were driving to. And uh, on the way, I remember getting a phone call from Scott Hartwig, who was our board president at the time, and Bob Engel, who is our head elder. And, uh, and, and they told me that I had received the call. I had been voted to receive the call to be the senior pastor here. And I remember in that moment, just so much of the weight of the months and even years leading up to that moment just, just came on me. There was, there was relief and there was some anxiety and fear about the future, but most of all, there was gratitude. And I just remember just you just you know bawling and just losing my emotion and trying to keep it together on the phone. And and then we made the short rest of the drive to the Howers' house, and we got there before most people got there. They were still coming from the meeting, and uh, and as people as people came in, um, I just remember that we hugged and and there was some emotion and some and some you know happiness, and it was a night I will never forget. Have you ever experienced a moment like that? Have you ever had a a big life moment to celebrate? A milestone in your life, maybe some some other time of significance? What was that like for you? See, tonight as we begin Lent, we're going to begin with a, a milestone moment in Jesus's life. We're going to begin at the moment right after Jesus' baptism. And in Jesus' baptism, um, something incredible happened. The Holy Spirit descended on him visibly, and the voice of God boomed from the heavens, saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And, and so this was a very affirming moment for Jesus as he's about to begin his ministry, a milestone moment. And yet, 
He chooses to celebrate this milestone in a very, very strange way. He doesn't invite friends over. They don't have a party. There's no celebration. There's no cake. Instead, what Jesus does is is he decides to book it out of town and he heads out to the wilderness that is just outside of Jerusalem, a, a place that is barren, a place that is without water, that is inhospitable, not a nice place, not the kind of place you would think to go to celebrate anything. Jesus goes there and he spends 40 days in the wilderness. And as, if, if the terrain wasn't rough enough and, and the location wasn't bad enough, over those 40 days, we, we know that he was tempted He was tempted. In fact, Luke, the gospel writer, records all of this. I want to look at that tonight. Luke chapter 4. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, not surprisingly, he was hungry. Now, for some of you, maybe this talk about the devil is going to be a little much for you tonight, and I hope that doesn't get in the way, because here's what I know, that all of us know that there's evil in the world. We've seen it, whether it's in the face of an ISIS executioner or a sex trafficker or someone else who does something awful. We've all encountered evil. We know it exists, and evil must have a root, and just kind of think about that as we go through this. But what I'd rather you notice is the length of time that Jesus went out into the wilderness, said it already. How long was it? Yeah, 40 days. 40 is a a number of significance. I'm about to turn 40 in less than like two weeks or something. So a number of significance. Uh, Moses and Elijah were both prophets who spent 40 days on on a holy mountain talking to God. Um, The Israelites, they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. The giant Goliath taunted the Israelites for 40 days and 40 nights until finally David, this young warrior, grabbed a slingshot and silenced him. 40 is a significant number in the Bible. That's why there are even 40 days in our celebration of Lent. And and so Jesus is baptized, this milestone moment, and then he goes into the wilderness where he is tempted for 40 days. Now, we all know temptation. We've all encountered it. We have maybe even encountered intense seasons of temptation where it just would not let up. But I want you to imagine a solid 40 days of temptation. Why would Jesus subject himself to this? Why would Jesus go out into the wilderness? Why would he endure all of this? What on earth is he doing here? There must be a purpose to it, but for me, it's, it's sometimes hard to see. See, I think to understand the purpose of why Jesus was there, what he was doing, you have to understand the nature of the temptations themselves. So let's look at them. Verse three says, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Then Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. That's temptation one. Then the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That's temptation number two. And then the third temptation, it says, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, 
do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Temptation number three. When you look at those temptations, those three temptations, what do you see? And on the surface, it's a temptation to, for food, for, for power, and maybe glory. Or um, maybe it's the lust of the, the flesh, the lust of the eyes. Maybe it's gluttony, greed, sloth. I, I don't know. Whatever you see, I want you to know this is more, this is about more than just willpower and self-control, which is how we usually think of temptation. In the face of temptation, we think, I need more willpower, I need more self-control, and those aren't bad things. God gives those things, but this is actually about something greater. See, I think Jesus learned something in the wilderness in those 40 days that became essential to his success throughout the rest of his ministry, even to his work on the cross. In fact, I just want to kind of cut to the end of the season of Lent, if we could, See, at the very end of this temptation, you saw it there just a second ago, verse 13, says, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. In other words, it's saying the devil was coming back later on. So when was that time? When did the devil come back and tempt Jesus a second time? We don't remember that maybe if we've read the Gospels. And uh, while we don't know for sure, I'm, I'm sure it came in a variety of ways, if you just look at the pattern of the language, in two of these three temptations that we just looked at, the devil used a phrase in two out of the three temptations. Did you, did you, did you see what it was? Use this phrase, if you are the son of God, then. If you are the son of God, then turn stones to bread. If you are the son of God, then surely... Um, the Lord will uh, send his angels to, to uh, rescue you if you throw yourself down. If you are the son of God. You, you know the only other time that we see that phrase recorded in the Gospels? It is, it is at the crucifixion of Jesus when he is hanging on the cross and people are coming by and they're hurling insults at him, saying all kinds of false accusations against him. And then they say this, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. What do you think was behind those words? And wow, what a, what a powerful temptation for Jesus. As he's there enduring the cross, persevering in this awful place, and he has the full power and ability to get himself down from there. In fact, he shouldn't be there in the first place. There's all kinds of injustice that put him in that place. What a powerful temptation that must have been for him. And yet what a disastrous move that would have been, not for him, but for us. See, this 40-day period was so important in Jesus' life because it was a place where, where he learned. And, and I know sometimes we're uncomfortable talking about Jesus learning. We just assume he knew everything. But although he was fully God, he was fully human. And, and he had to learn things. And, and there Jesus, in this 40-day period of time, he learned and he grew and he was formed for a more critical time, for a more critical moment. He learned how to stand up under temptation for the time that it would matter the most. Tonight, I want to talk to you about how this all came to be out in the wilderness. I've told you that it did. I want to talk to you about how. And to do that, let's look back at these three temptations. Let's start with the first temptation. And let me go at it this way. When we are born, when we are born, we need others to survive, right? It's pretty clear. But as soon as possible, as soon as possible, 
as we get older, even, even to toddler age, there's something in us that hates the fact that we need people and we try to prove our independence as soon as possible. I remember my kids when they were toddlers all of the time saying, no, let me do it. And uh, now that my kids are getting closer to the teenage years, I hear them saying the same, but you know, different words, but same idea, pushing back on everything, this desire for independence. And, and we do that in adulthood and even in older adulthood as we may struggle with illness or age. Th- the scariest thing for, for many of us, for maybe you sitting here, for your parents, for your grandparents, is to lose independence. It's something we value so much. And while independence can be a good thing, it can be a dangerous thing. See, this first temptation that Jesus had to overcome, it wasn't about stones or bread. I, I don't think that was it. I think it was deeper than that. It was a temptation to trust, to rely in himself. You have a need, Jesus? Well, there's some stones. Turn them into bread. Take care of yourself. Why suffer? Why, why struggle? You've got the power to take care of yourself. You don't need anything else, Jesus. You you can do this with no problem. No one's going to be hurt. Just go ahead. But to do that, to solve all of his own problems, to put his trust in himself, Jesus would have been giving uh, giving into a dangerous way of living that we often give into. See, See, for a lot of us, you know, in your life, there are places where you can make it on your own. You've got resources and you've got power and you've got intelligence and, and you've got all kinds of things at your disposal. Uh, there, are, there are moments in life where you are enough, where you have enough, you can make it on your own. And what can happen is you can fall into the temptation of trusting in yourself, of believing that you have enough. But I will tell you, there will, a day will come when you will not be enough and your resources will not be enough and, and your power is not enough and, and your, your friend network is not enough. And if you've, if you've lived a life, if you've built a life learning to trust in yourself, it will spell disaster for you. See, I believe that's what this first temptation is all about. It's not about food. It's not about hunger. It's, it's, it's saying, Jesus, you've got the power to take care of yourself. Trust in what you can do for yourself. Friends, that is a trap. The second temptation. See, I think this is a temptation not to trust in yourself, but to trust in someone else. For for what did the devil say? The devil said, all of the kingdoms of the world, take a look at them. They've been given to me. I can give them to whoever I want. And if you worship me, they'll all be yours. Here at St. John, we've just finished a series where we've talked about connections and how important it is to depend and rely on other people. And and, and that's true. But some of us can take that too far and we can begin begin to, to trust in people, to rely on people and depend on people for things that only God can provide. Maybe it's our identity. You know, God, God is speaking a word over us about who we are, but, but maybe we just, we just care too much. We listen too hard to what our friends say, to what our spouse says. We need the words of others to, to, to give us a sense of identity. Or for us, maybe it's our security. We, we feel like we need others to give us protection, to make us feel safe. Or maybe it's our worth, our sense of meaning. There's a great temptation with that, isn't there? To, to trust in others, to give us worth, to, to give us value, to give us a sense of meaning. Now keep in mind, this is hugely unfair to do to people in your life, isn't it? To put them in that place 
of saying, hey, give me identity, give me security, give me worth, give me value, to do that to someone that, that is horribly unfair, not just to them, but it's also unfair to you. Because inevitably, you know what's gonna happen if, if you put your trust in another person? Someday they're gonna fail you. They're gonna make a big mistake, they're gonna stake, they're gonna, they're gonna slip up, they're gonna fail in some way. They'll, they'll leave, maybe, they'll get sick, they might even die. And if you've built a life, if you've, if you've gotten used to trusting in them for not just friendship and companionship, for the really big things in life, it will be absolutely devastating to you. you you'll crumble. See, the devil, he's crafty. I mean, he comes at Jesus first and he says, hey, take care of yourself. And when Jesus refuses, he says, okay, well then, then trust in me. I can give you everything you need there will be people in your life who will speak the same to you. They will make that promise to you. They can't deliver on it. And there will be people in your life that you will feel tempted to put in that place even without their asking. Don't do it. See, the third temptation, uh, this one's interesting because it seems like it's right. The third temptation Jesus faced, that temptation to throw yourself down from the temple mount and uh, the angels will catch you, they'll, they'll protect you. You know, trust in God. That's the third temptation, trust in God. Well, that sounds fine. What's wrong with trusting in God? Well, there's, 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 a, there's a caveat there. Trust in God on your own terms. See, there's a huge temptation in life to say, God, I trust you. But let me give you the details about exactly how I want you to work this all out for me, right? God, I, I believe in you. But let me tell you how this all needs to work. God, right? Not, not just, uh, you know, God provide for me, but God, I, I need a job and it needs to be a good sales job. I need to make $100,000 a year. I'd like to stay in St. Louis and I'd like to, not to travel more than three days a week. God, can you provide that for me? Instead of God, um, take care of me and my family. We're in a bad place. Or sometimes we say, God, uh, I, I need you to make that jerk say they're sorry for what they did to me rather than saying, God, I'm in a broken place right now and I need you to bring peace to it, however you see fit. Or, uh, God, I'm trusting you to completely heal my disease rather than, God, I need you to be present with me, not to leave me, not to forsake me. I need you to reassure me that you're here, that you're good. And, and uh, God, I need you to fight for me through this and, and work all things for my good. Do you see the difference? There's a huge difference between trusting in God and trusting in God if it's gotta be on my terms. And the devil is so crafty, he can turn something so good, trusting in God, into something that is so devastating where we begin to come to God on, on our terms and demand that he come to us on our terms, I should say, rather than his own terms, which is really no trust at all. See, we see with Jesus, him endure these three temptations. The temptation to trust in himself, the temptation to trust in someone else, the temptation to trust in God, but on his terms. And in each of those things, Jesus is able to resist. And at the end of it, the reason this is so important is, is by beating those three temptations, Within that 40-day time period, Jesus learned something. He learned what it is to trust in God, not on his terms, but to trust in God, period. He learned what it means to know that no matter what happens in life, there is a God who loves you and he is with you. That he's not, he's not against you, he's for you. That he's fighting for you, even when it doesn't feel like it. 
He he learned what it meant that even when everyone would turn their back on him and and he couldn't find a friend in the world, that, 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 that God would be there with him, that God would never abandon him, not even in the grave. See, in those 40 days, Jesus learned something powerful. Not just how to have more willpower, self-control, but he learned how to trust his father no matter what. I wonder, could we use these 40 days of Lent? Could we use them to do the same? Could we begin tonight asking God to do the same in us? Be a really worthy use of a season, probably more worthy than giving up chocolate or soda or whatever you might be giving up, although that's not bad either. In fact, tonight, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at these three temptations. And I want you just to identify which of those three things is the biggest temptation in your life right now. I know I struggle with all three. There are times I'm fiercely independent. There are times where, where I'm putting so much weight on people in my life to fulfill me. I'm demanding that they, that they say the right words, that they give me identity and meaning. There are times in my life where, where I'm trying to trust God, but I keep telling God how I want him to do it, how I expect him to handle the situations in my life. My question is tonight, in the season that you're in right now, which do you find to be the greatest temptation in your life? And now I want to ask you, what do you think would happen if you spent the next 40 days inviting God into that struggle with you? You know, if it's trust in yourself, if that's your thing, what if every day you deliberately not only asked God for help, but what if every day you decided that you were, you were going to ask someone for help every day of the next 40 days? I'm going to ask someone for help, even when I don't feel like I need it. I'm going to stop and ask for directions when I'm just a little lost, or I'm going to, I'm going to ask someone for help at work, even if I know how to run the fax machine, I'm just struggling with it right now, you know, whatever it may be. What if you just decided to ask someone for help every day to break that temptation to trust only in you. Maybe it's the, the trust in someone else that you're struggling with. What would it look like every day for you to, to, to begin to turn to God for, for whatever you're putting on people's shoulders? And what would it look like for you to begin to love people in your life, not for what they can do for you or what they bring into your life, but what if you begin to love them just for themselves? Not, not what they can bring you, not, not the identity or the security, but, but what if you just love them for their own sake? If trusting in God on your terms is, is your problem, you're, I mean, you're, you're so close, right? But maybe you just need to stop dictating to God how it needs to be. You just need to just stop yourself when you go there. See, which one of these things is your biggest temptation right now? And how might you use the next 40 days to invite God in to help you beat that temptation? Because the end result that I hope, uh, or that Jesus found, I, I hope is the same for you. That not just by beating this temptation that you become a better Christian, no, 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 but, but that you learn at the end of this what it means to trust in God for everything that you really need. And so maybe you need to get a journal. I, I'd encourage it and spend five minutes a day just writing about your day and talking about how you stumbled over that temptation and, and maybe talking about how it could have looked different. 
Or maybe you need to spend every morning praying, asking God intentionally to help you, inviting him into your day. Maybe you need to speak the word of God against your temptation like Jesus did. Even borrow some of his words here from Luke 4 and and speak those out loud every day. See, here's the point. In 40 days, Jesus' relationship with his father was deepened, it was changed, and it revolutionized his life. In the next 40 days... What could happen in your life? Let's pray about that. Father, we pray that you'd meet us here at the beginning of this 40-day journey. For a lot of people in the world, this is just an arbitrary date on a calendar and it moves every year and it makes no sense. And yet, Father, we pray that for us, this might become something deeper, that you might set apart these next 40 days to take us on a journey with you, a journey of deeper trust where you show us how to resist the temptation of trusting in ourselves. And Father, some of us are so self-reliant. We won't trust anyone or anything. We think it's all on us. Father, uh, maybe for some of us, it's it's, it's just people in our lives. We, We put them in much too high of a place, far higher than they ever should be. And Father, for some of us, it's, it's we just keep telling you how we want you to function, how we want you to resolve things and to move things in our life. Father, we invite you in and we pray that you would use the next 40 days to uh, help us arrest those temptations so that we can come to a deeper place of trust in you, period. So that we can find you trustworthy for everything that we need. We pray that you'd accomplish this in the name and for the sake of Jesus. Amen.